invite you to turn with me once again to the book of Isaiah and tonight to chapter 29. And we'll be reading uh, the entire chapter, verses 1 through 24. Uh, we're in the midst of a series exploring this uh, a theme in Isaiah, the uh, theme of Israel's failed spiritual perception. And I'll remind you, the book opened with that claim, Israel does not know. Israel, um, my people do not understand. And last time we saw uh, that Yahweh made uh, Isaiah a prophet uh, for, for this purpose, so that the people uh, would see but not perceive that strange calling, that they would hear but not understand. And then now tonight I'm bringing us to the middle of this book, uh, it, this is a chapters embedded in a, in a series of, of chapters that all proclaim woe, woe to you. Uh, and, but here we will find that Isaiah's ministry purpose also has something to do with the purpose of this book. So listen, Isaiah chapter 29, this is God's word. Woe! To you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Add year to year, let the feasts run their round. Yet I will distress, distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. And I will encamp against you all around, and I will besiege you with towers, and I will raise siege works against you. And you will be brought low from the, from the earth you shall speak. And from the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost. And from the dust your speech shall whisper. But the multitude of your foreign foes shall be like small dust. And the multitude of the ruthless like passing chaff. And in an instant suddenly... You will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, all that fight against her and her stronghold and distress and, and her stronghold and distress her shall be like a dream, a vision of the night. As when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating and awakes with his hunger not satisfied. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking and awakes, awakes faint, and his thirst not quenched. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Astonish yourselves, and be astonished. Blind yourselves, and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot for it is sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. And the Lord said, 
Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Woe to you who hide deep from, from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. The, shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made shall say of its maker, he did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon, shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off, who by a word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall no more be ashamed, no more shall his face grow pale, for when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding. And those who murmur will accept instruction. Have you ever contemplated the question, what if my life is just a dream? What if tomorrow I'll wake up and realize none of it was true? It was all just a dream, a delusion. That was one of the recurring questions in uh, Christopher Nolan's 2010 Inception. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie, he, he leads a team with a special skill, the ability to enter into the dreams of others and to either extract ideas or to plant ideas within those dreams. But the problem in the movie, the problem is that as they enter into those dream worlds, they enter sometimes so deeply uh, that it becomes difficult, impossible to tell the difference between dream or reality. So what to do? DiCaprio in that movie carries with him a totem, uh, a special object which only he knows about. And for him, it's a, a spinning top. And, uh, and in the case of a dream or in reality, he is able to spin that top and as it spins and spins, if it continues indefinitely, 
He's able to know I'm dreaming. If it wobbles and falls, he's in reality. Of course, the iconic image that stays with you as you uh, walk away from that movie is the top spinning and spinning and spinning. And as the film cuts, you wonder to yourself, did it, did it just wobble a bit? Is it all a dream? Is it reality? And this passage in Isaiah 29 is not unlike that totem carried by DiCaprio. That is, it puts to you that question, are you dreaming? Are you awake? Are you awake to, to reality as defined by God? Or are you living by delusions? This passage, it, it gets us wrestling with that question, and, and we can consider it in three parts. Uh, three parts in this passage. The, the challenge of sight, the failure of sight, and the future of sight. And so first, here in Isaiah 29, 29 there's the challenge of sight. Why, we ask ourselves, why is spiritual perception Difficult. Why are we so tired, so sleepy to reality? And before I pointed us to Isaiah's prophetic call, how it was for him a, a call of revealing and concealing, of making God's people unperceiving. And this opening vision of, of chapter 29 is, is wonderfully illustrative of that. Uh, in the vision given here, God's ways are hard to discern. They're hidden. God's ways are, are hard to pin down so that this vision challenges our spiritual sight. And so in this vision, what ought to be for grace turns out to be for judgment. And what looks like judgment turns out to be grace. Let me show you what I mean. Take the first point. What ought to be for grace turns out to be judgment. First, there's the simple, simply the name by which God addresses Jerusalem. And it's an otherwise unheard of name in in scripture for the city, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David camped. What does it mean? That itself is a bit of a mystery, but it can mean and, pro and perhaps means here something like the, the hearth or the, the platform of the altar. That is, it seems to highlight Jerusalem as the place where sacrifice is offered. Jerusalem as the site of God's grace. And yet here are these jarring words. Woe to Ariel. Woe to Ariel. And in verse 2, now you can perhaps understand, I will make you like an Ariel. That is, you'll be burned up. 
And then beside it, the next thing we find is this sarcastic reference to religious feasts. Add year to year and let the feasts run their round. Go ahead, multiply your feasts. But lamentation is coming. And altogether, these are, are shocking words that Isaiah begins with. Uh, the place of sacrifice is to be burned up. The feasts of God give no pleasure, but only further judgment. These, these experiences and realities that should have been for grace uh, among God's people, they produce judgment. What looks like judgment turns out to be. And then likewise, we find this, these other puzzling facts. What looks like judgment turns out to be grace. But we have to work to understand this, to be awake to this. So is God for or against his people in the opening of this passage the whole tone of the passage is, is one of judgment. But then we can ask ourselves, so we ask ourselves questions. Is it good to be an Ariel? Is it good for Yahweh to camp among you? Apparently not. And then it gets more difficult. The, the multitude of the enemy is like dust. The multitude is like chaff. And we either picture an enemy stretching out in a, countless, in a countless number, intimidating and forceful, or we picture an army ready to be blown away by the breath of the Lord. The picture is difficult to discern. But the prophet Isaiah is playing with ambiguity, challenging us to understand the vision. And then the surprise, uh, and then the surprise which continues to challenge. Is it good or is it bad for, to, be, to be visited by the Lord of hosts? That language often means judgment. Sometimes salvation Good or bad to behold thunder and earthquake, whirlwind and tempest, devouring fire, you see. The vision challenges our understanding of God's ways. This God who both attacks and defends Jerusalem. That's not till verse 7, really, that we become clear. But now we see it, the great reversal. God's judgment has, got, has brought God's people to, to the edge of non-existence. Your voice will, become, will come from the ground like that of a ghost. From the dust, a whisper. But now, it's the enemies who fade away. Zion has seemed to go down to the dust, but now it's the dust-like multitude that will be destroyed. Zion seemed to be fading away, but now the armies, these multitudes, are just a dream, vanishing, a vision in the night. 
This is God's amazing and hidden purpose that challenges understanding. Within the book of Isaiah, we have a rescue, uh, uh, an event just like this. In chapter 36 through 37, we're given the account in, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah. The, the Assyrian king Sennacherib sent his armies uh, and he says to Hezekiah in, 30, in chapter 36, verse 4, on what do you rest your trust? Do you trust in Egypt? They're like a staff or a reed that I will crush. They're, they're already broken. Do you trust in Yahweh? Think again, Sennacherib says. Think again, Yahweh is the one who told me to come against this land and destroy it. And he puts this question to the people. Has any uh, of the gods of the nations delivered this, uh, delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? But Isaiah, we're told, prophesies into that moment and, and says to Hezekiah, to the people, do not be afraid. And after praying to the Lord, uh, he says, you alone of, of, all, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. He prays, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Save us. And what happens? When Israel rises the next morning, they look and see not the Assyrian army stretched out in, as an intimidating uh, multitude in their vast strength, but dead bodies struck down by the angel of the Lord in the night. See, on what will you trust? What realities will, on, on what realities will you trust and, and, and place your hope? In Israel's own experience, they are drawn into circumstances which, which challenge spiritual sight, which challenge faith and trust. In the opening of this passage, it, it convinces us, it shows us, you can't pin God down, but he will work in his sovereign and mysterious and strange way. It's a challenge to be awake to this. The prophet's vision of God and indeed God's own way in the world are a challenge to spiritual sight. And then this uh, passage, it shows us that sight failing. Spiritual sight failing. Um, and so if we ask why uh, why our spiritual sight is not only challenged by God's work, but also often fails, the answer this passage will give is, is something like this. God will be had only on his terms. The vision of Isaiah one through, uh, in those verses 1 through 8, it gives us this stunning reversal 
But then what do we encounter next? And we might ask first, what do we expect? Maybe something like this. I will give thanks to you, O Lord. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away and that you might comfort me. Shout and sing for joy, joy, O inhabitant of Zion. But what do we get? Astonish yourselves and be astonished. That's really more negative than that. One commentator suggests act stupidly and be stupefied. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. Because the Lord has put on you this deep sleep. He has closed your eyes. And now you see, we're back to our our main theme in this series. Israel does not know. Yahweh has made Isaiah a prophet so so that seeing they would not perceive and hearing they would not understand. And here in chapter 29, here's the amazing thing. Here is a vision of Yahweh's appearing. Thunder and earthquake, whirlwind and tempest. And the people are yet unseeing, as in a deep sleep, failing to see. Isaiah, you could say, continues to get excellent job performance reviews. Verses 11 and 12, they they fill this out. They give us this analogy. The vision of all these things is like a sealed up book that none can read. And if we could trace this imagery, we would see that uh, this is just how the book of Isaiah presents itself to us, a sealed book, sealed as a witness for a future time. In chapter 30, God will say to the prophet, go write this on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come, a witness forever. And for the people of Isaiah's time, the message, though, is sealed up. The problem, for the time being, is a heart problem. A heart problem. And as I've been wanting to show in this series, it's also a worship problem. Verse 13 says, This people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Their worship is gutted of any heart, of any sincerity of truth or of spirit. It's mere appearance, a mere formality. And in response... God announces a work that will expose their failure to see and understand. He says, I will again do wonderful things with this people, wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of their wise shall perish. The discernment of their discerning shall be hidden. And look, here's another case of God's way of of challenging our understanding that God does wonders Language that could have us think of the exodus of of salvation. But here this 
salvation language, it turns out for it to be for the humbling of Israel's so-called wise and discerning. And then the second, uh, the second oracle following the, the second woe beginning in verse 16, it continues just this point. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord. And other passages will show that uh, their plans, Israel's plans, involve taking refuge in Egypt, trusting in other powers. They pursue wisdom and plans, but not the Lord's. And they imagine God won't see. God won't know. What does the prophet say? You have things backwards. You have things upside down. And in all this, we start to see the heart of Israel's problem. See, they are blind to God because they are determined to have God on their terms. They imagine that they should direct the ways of the potter. But God assures them it's the other way around. We can say a sign that you are dealing with the true God is that this God does not always act the way you expect. God's people imagine that uh, they can get by on a cheap, easy grace and God brings judgment. God's people take the privilege of, of grace for granted and it becomes for them their peril. Or God's people neglect the, the fiery power of God's holiness and they are consumed. Or they imagine that only some great foreign power might rescue them from God's judgment. And God graciously saves. When it looks as if there is no way through judgment, God comes with overflowing streams of salvation. God will be had only on his terms. This God challenges sight and and sinners fail to see why because of this temptation to form God as we would have him. Uh, But Isaiah gives us this larger God, the, the potter, our maker, our creator, both a consuming fire and inexhaustible love. So the passage draws us from the challenge of seeing God rightly to the failure to see and finally to the future of sight. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see the meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. How does it happen? How are sinners without understanding made to see again? 
Isaiah's answer is this, that God shows himself once again as the potter. God shows himself once again as the creator and now the one who is able to, to do a work of new creation. See, Isaiah, he describes this transformation. Lebanon will be fruitful again. A fruitful field will, uh, will become a forest. God will restore his creation. And then his creatures will see again. Or listen to verse 23. In that day, God's people will see their children. What does it say? Their children, the work of my hands in their midst. The work of God's hands. See, they will once again acknowledge that God, uh, as potter, they will once again acknowledge God as potter because they themselves will be shaped and formed by him, the work of his hands. Are you awake? Are you awake to God's work? Are you living in a world shaped and fashioned uh, for your own gods? Are you awake to the, the, this new creation work of God, or are you following a delusion, seeking to have God on your own terms? The vision of this God challenges sight. But can I tell you, the day which Isaiah promised has come. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, it uses this very same imagery as Isaiah, this sealed book, a book with God's hidden and secret counsel, uh, secret counsel sealed up, a mystery. But the sealed book, we, we see it in heaven there, and the question is asked, who is worthy? Who is worthy to open its scroll, to break its seal? And the answer, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of Jesse, the lamb who was slain. See, he has opened the scroll. He has caused you to hear. He has opened your eyes. And what do you see? In Christ, here is a God who will not be pinned down, but who works his sovereign purpose. Uh, when, when death seems to have won, there is victory. The dream vanishes. Here is a God who must be had on his own terms. He comes as the lion and the lamb, conquering sin and death and Satan, and full of love and mercy, a great and consuming fire and inexhaustible love. The God who gives himself uh, to you is this large God. And as you see this God, you find fresh joy. You exult in the Holy One of Israel. This lion 
who conquers sin and death. And this lamb slain for you, he opens your eyes. He gives light to your eyes so that not with mere lip service, but with your whole heart and, and from the gut, you proclaim, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and honor, might and glory and blessing. Are you awake? Are you dreaming? Do you see? Let's pray. Our great God, you are exalted beyond our comprehension and the vision of you does indeed challenge our human hearts and our sinful hearts often fail in comprehending your ways. Yet we adore you for your redemptive work in Christ, for the way that you come and have shown yourself to be our creator and the one able to work new creation in us and for us. We adore you for the way that your transformative work leads us once again to sanctify and to worship your name. We adore you for the way that you give light to our eyes and open our ears to hear. Enable us, O oh Lord, this week to live awake to your work, awake to your presence and power. Enable us, O oh Lord, to trust you above all and in you to, to find uh, the lion and lamb worthy of all praise and adoration, glory and power and might. Lead us, O oh Lord, in, in this worship of you. Bring it forth from us with all of our heart. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. We say together, amen. amen.